Welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast, helping you invest in property for freedom, choice, and profit. You'll learn new, innovative, and multiple streams of property income, whether you want to start, scale, or systemize, and even if you don't have deposits. Hi, I'm Peter Jones, Chartered Surveyor, Author, and Property Investor, and this is the Progressive Property Podcast. And today, I'm joined by Kevin McDonald. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Peter. How are you? Great. Delighted to be here. Delighted to have you here, Kevin. Now, Kevin, we first met, I think, a couple of years ago when you were doing ESR, training to be a trainer for Progressive. And I heard your story as, as to how you got into property. And I thought, what a cool story. So let's start at the very beginning. Right. How did you get into property? Um, you heard some of my story. So I told part of my story at the, at the training. I remember it right. was January last year, January 2016. Mm -hmm. um, how I got into property, well, obviously by the accent, I'm Irish. So I was studying in Ireland in university and living in a shared house. And I always remember the landlord coming to the property every Friday and collecting the rents. And I thought, this is really cool. And one day I got a conversation with him and he told me he had more than one property. And I thought, wow, what a cool job. Doesn't do anything for a living. And then I went back studying. Yes. And um, got my studies done, couldn't get a job in Ireland and got offered a job in London. So I moved over to England in 2002 and started living in a shared house, as you do. And then I attended a property event in London with the lad that I shared the house with, South African lad. So I went to this free three-hour seminar in London. Was it a progressive event? It wasn't progressive. Well, you will forgive you that? Progressive could forgive me because they weren't around you back probably then. probably weren't around then, yeah. yeah it was back, yeah. this was 2003. Yeah. Um, middle of the boom, when two, 2003, four, five was the real boom years. Mm. And there was an American company, the American guy up on stage talking about all these different property strategies and it all sounded amazing. And at the end, they offered a training course to which I thought really want to do it. And then they showed me the price. And it was a month's salary. And I thought, how difficult can it be? How hard can it be to buy property? Mm. Everyone's doing it, everyone's making money, especially the Irish, because the Irish were like, great at telling everybody what they were doing at the time. And it was the Celtic Tiger, if people remember it. So I decided I didn't need the training. And everyone who was doing the training were mugs, because how hard could it be? So I left the room, went home, and had lighted my interest in property, but I decided to do it on my own. Ah, um, so, yeah, absolutely. And this yeah. is the thing, isn't it? Everybody thinks it's so easy to do property. They Just go and buy a property. What can go wrong? Yeah, uh, uh, quite so a bit. Quite a quite, bit can go bit. wrong. So what did you do? You left the I, conference, you thought mugs. Yeah, I was living at the time at near Lakeside Shopping Centre in East London, a place called Chafford 100. And it was quite expensive around the area, so I started researching property around that area. I didn't have much, much money, a little bit of savings from the job, and um, I realised there was no chance I could get enough money together for a deposit for a property in London, so I looked elsewhere. However, being at Lakeside, I was very close to the Excel Centre, and I got an offer to go to the Property Investor Show. So I attended the Property Investor Show, and back in 2003-04, it was all off-plan, new build, abroad, buy cheap with small deposits, pay staged payments during the build, and it'll be doubled in value by the time it's built. Everything will be great. You can get, you can get finance later, pull all your money out, uh, maybe even sell it once it's built, and you'll be a millionaire in six months. I remember those days. The whole yeah. of Excel was just full of exhibitors selling off-plan overseas properties. It, it was, and um, so many exhibitors selling that I thought I'll jump in, do one deal, and I found myself on an airplane heading to Estonia. Estonia. Yeah, <laughs> perfect location for a property in my, in my um, limited knowledge. So I went to Estonia, had a weekend there, they showed me around everything and it was a little village called Parnu, which is a seaside town. And it was a two bedroom apartment in, Par in Parnu overlooking a lake for 36 grand. And I thought, how can you go wrong? Not only was it 36 grand, it was 8,000 pounds to get in to mm. get started. As a deposit? As a deposit, so yeah. I met the developers, I met the builders, the builders talked me through the build. Everything seemed great, I signed everything, hopped back on the plane, went back to England, got updates on the build, and I now figured I was a professional property investor. So as a professional property investor, I wanted more, I'd got the hunger, so I did it again. 
Oh, where? Um, in Turkey and Bulgaria. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. You really had got the taste for it. And after doing it the next couple of times, I then realised that the updates from Estonia had stopped. There was no sort of information. I tried to contact the company. The phones were dead. It was all gone. And I realised that I'd been scammed. Oh, no. It never had planning permission. I didn't even meet real builders. Nothing. Um, fortunately, or unfortunately, the Bulgaria property did get built. Well, well tell us about the Bulgaria property. What was it? Um, it was a two-bed, so it was in a ski resort. So I'd already done the beach bit. Yes. So the beach bit was sorted. Turkey was another beach one. Yeah. And um, so I was thinking, I've got these holiday home sort of rental places. Yeah. Which I would never, never would have, I've never been back to any of the countries. Yeah. Which was a pointless exercise. Mm. Um, the Bulgaria one was in a ski resort in a place called Bansko. So that's diversification. It's diversifying into like <laughs> winter holidays and summer holidays. Absolutely, yes. So it was, I went all out though here. I went for the top floor, two bedroom, penthouse apartment, um, 80,000 pounds, but a bit extra, but obviously I'm getting more space. It's a nicer apartment. The plans look great. So, and it was, this one started to be built. I went out and had a look at it in 2009. I stayed there. Um, really nice except in the all the time i had it i still actually have it but all the time i've had it um the only person that ever stayed there was me right and in the week i stayed there they tried to charge me about 150 euros for staying in my own apartment as a management fee oh. to which i told them there was no way i was paying they could take it out of my management income yes um but w i went there after it was built i didn't go there before it was built or before i signed the contracts because i had been to estonia and realised that everything seemed to be fine. So I decided that I'd save some money on an £80,000 apartment and not book 20 quid Ryanair flights to Bulgaria. Yeah. When I did get there in 2009, to, when it was finished, to stay there, I realised that a ski resort apartment, I, don't, I didn't ski, I didn't think about it in huge detail or ask them where it, well I was told it was in the ski resort. Most people who ski, if you, if you do ski and you listen to the podcast, you want to be a few hundred yards at maximum from the gondola. Mm. The apartment is five and a half kilometers from the gondola. Ouch. It's actually not even in Bansko. It's in a nearby town called Razlog. Right. Um, completely different town. So no, that's one of the reasons why nobody's ever stayed there. However, because I was been charged extortionate management fees in 09 after it was finished, the, all the other apartment owners were too. So it was 56 apartments all owned by English and Irish investors. Mm. And we all got together in Birmingham at the Crown Plaza in Birmingham and we had an, an extraordinary general meeting mm. and we voted out the management company to mm. put in our own. So we got a English people, man, a management company that were English speaking mm. from England but lived in Bansko to take mm. over the apartment complex. About six weeks after they took it over, the previous owners, the previous management company came back in with the help of the local police and they took everything. They took the doors, they took the aircon units, they took the furniture, they took the kitchens, they took the bathrooms literally stripped the whole apartments out. Um, and could they do that? They, well, legally, no. Uh, but what you'll find out about Bulgaria is it's um, legally doesn't exactly matter all the time. What I mean by that is I didn't know at the time, I do know now, is that who we'd actually bought off was the local Bulgarian mafia. Oh, no. So they went in with the help of the local police because the police are, well, bought. About, I didn't go out, but about 12 owners went out and we got in front of a local judge and the judge said, can you prove that all of the contents in the apartment were owned by you? Because you do own the building, but Mr. Callan, who's the local mafia guy who built them, has got receipts for the purchase of all the equipment and all he was doing was taking his stuff back. His kitchen and his, his bathroom. His kitchens and his bathrooms. And, and his windows. And yeah, and his skylight. His An apartment in a ski resort with no skylight, that's what I've got. Um, so it's a complete scam. They chucked it out of court. We didn't get anything back. The building insurance didn't cover it because it wasn't our goods that were stolen, um, supposedly. <laughs> so we have an apartment in a ski resort that's actually completely valueless. I couldn't even sell it if I tried. Um, so over 18 months from walking out of that training room in London, thinking I could do property on my own, I had bought three apartments that were worth pretty much nothing and lost 135 grand. Oh dear. So. so yeah, I mean, that's quite a sobering story, really. I mean, at yeah. one point, I was laughing a little bit, but actually, it's really no laughing matter, is it? At the time, I, I lost my hair. 
<laughs> literally. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's for any, anybody who's watching the podcast, Kevin's been serious. You, you yeah. have, have actually lost your hair. I did, yeah. yeah. I have a brother 10 years older than me. He has a full head of hair. I literally distress everything. It was, how do, you, how do you ever pay back 135 grand? I mean, with a day job, you're never going to do it. So um, I went back and got trained. Well, I was going to say, if we stop the podcast there, mm. and I said, Kevin, it's been great having you on. Thank you very much. That would be quite a depressing podcast. It would. But luckily, <laughs> this does have a happy ending, so stick with us, everybody, because things changed. But you came back from Bulgaria, Turkey, Estonia. You're 130 grand light. Yeah. You've lost your hair, literally. What do you do when you're in that position? How do you pick yourself up from that? And I, how do you actually get yourself back on track? In a way, I think I was lucky because the first time I, I went into the event in London, the three-hour event, and I walked away from the opportunity to be trained, the cost of training was expensive. So it was like 1,800 quid. Uh, I felt it was expensive because it was more than a month's salary. And when, you, when you're in a position where you've got no choice, so when I'm 135 grand in debt, I actually walked up with a business partner, somebody I met as a business partner, and we, we shared the cost of the training, which was quite expensive at the time. So it was 24,000 pounds of training. We paid 12,000 each, and I put 12,000 pounds on a credit card. And that was the easiest decision I ever made, because I was at the point where I had no other choice. So I was 135 grand in debt, I was never gonna pay it back. So it was either go bust or go big. Mm. Um, and I. I thought, what's the, what's the difference between going bankrupt at 135 or 147? Mm. And it became a very easy choice. A bit but like double or quits, really. Double or quits, yeah. yeah. But sometimes 1,800 quid, it's, it's a lot of, it feels like a lot of money, but only because your mindset's at a place where you, it's a leap of faith and you don't know where you are. Mm. But when, you've got, when you're faced with, with a simple choice of, if I don't do it, I'm bust anyway, mm. it became easy. Mm. So it's weird how our minds work, but... That was the best 12 grand I ever spent. Well, mindset is so important, isn't it? And I always yeah. say at Masterclass, for example, that we can teach the technical side of property, but unless your mindset is right, yeah. you're never going to achieve anything. It is all totally about the mindset. It is, yeah. But it's interesting that you came back having had your fingers not only burned, but I mean, they're, they're sizzling, they're frying, but you still stuck with property. You could easily have come back and said property doesn't work I'm going to go and do something different. Or you could even have come back and said, property doesn't work, I'm going to do nothing and just feel sorry for myself. Yeah. I so, guess the, so what was behind that? How, the, how, why did you stick with property? The main reason I stuck with property is because if you, if you look at the, the rich list in the country or in the world, mm. people have either made their money in property mm. or if they've made it outside of property, they've invested it into property. Yeah. And anyone I knew that had anything, when you speak to them, they had property. I knew people that had done the training that I walked away from in 2003, because I'd met them in the room and stuff, that had actually been sec become successful. Sometimes you as well, you have to see somebody else sitting in a room next to you as a delegate, do it to become successful before you start to believe in yourself. Because mm. for me, my mindset was terrible. It was the guy up on stage, it's easy for him. He mm. was obviously born in the right part of the country, or he was, he was born rich, or all these sort of things, but I couldn't do it. Mm. Um, so seeing somebody else that was sitting next to you do it, was, it gives you that belief mm. that you can too. But, apart from, but the main thing was the debt. 135 grand in a day job, it would have took me 50 years to try and pay that back. So I had no choice but to keep going. And I didn't know anything else. So I didn't have a, a second option. I mean, there's stuff like stock market and all this stuff, but just didn't know it. I liked property, so I stuck at it because I kind of liked it. And sometimes I guess you can do property, but you need to like it at the same time or have an interest in it. Now you can fall in love with it, but you have to start with some interest in it mm. and a belief that that's the right thing to do. And I just always believed, no matter what went wrong at the start, that, that eventually if you just keep going, you'll be successful. Mm. So you, you came back and you got trained. Yeah. What happened then? What did you do? What, what, what were the practical strategies that you adopted? to get yourself out of that hole? So I had no money, so I wasn't in a position where I could put down 20 or 30 grand on a house. Mm. Um, some of it, the training was, I, I did some training which was really good, and I did some training that wasn't so good. But the great thing about training is even the stuff that's not good, it teaches you that that's not what you want to do, if mm. that makes sense. Yes. While the other stuff is what you do. Um, I didn't really have a lot of strategies to do. Uh, I did things like rent to rent, 
before the term rent to rent was coined, mm. I was doing rent to rent. So I moved my job. So I, I moved up my job from London to Nottinghamshire and I couldn't afford to rent a house because I wanted to try and get as much money as I could to be saved and to pay off the debt. So I wanted to live for free if I could. So I rented a house out and then I let the other rooms in that property out to tenants and they paid my rent so I could live for free. So you effectively sort of created your own HMO I, I and you were one of your own tenants. Yeah, I, was, I created my own HMO where I was the live-in landlord Yes. and uh, put on a rent-to-rent contract. What I didn't even realise at the time, it was actually a rent-to-buy contract. So, but I, I'd, so I had a, a rental agreement monthly payment with the landlord and then I had an option to buy the property as well. Ah. But I hadn't done the training in terms of knowing what I had done. And then I did some training and went, oh, that's what I've done. Right. And then I thought, well, I don't need to just, just do it for my own home. I can do it for other properties as well and not live in it, just put more tenants in. Because the one I had, I was living in one room and I'd kept a room for a little office. Mm. And the other three rooms were covering the cost. Mm. And I was making actually about 30 quid. Mm. So my thought process then was, well, actually, if I'm not living in the house and I don't need an office in the house, then those other two rooms in the next house mm. is all profit. Mm. And that's rent to rent. So just to be absolutely clear, you hadn't bought the properties. No. You've literally rented a property off somebody yeah. and then you've sublet the rooms to individuals. Yes. And that's created a profit. Yeah. Except the first one you did, you lived in as well. Yes. And without knowing it, you had the clever idea of saying, is it okay if I buy this property sometime in the future? Yeah. Which is effectively an option. Yeah. Yeah. So just for anybody who is listening, what, what is an option? And, uh, and what made you even think of that if you hadn't even been trained in doing that kind of thing? I wanted to be a homeowner. And the, pr- the only thing that made me think of it was it was more that the person, people say, how hard is it to get an option deal secured? But actually it was the homeowner at the time that suggested it. And the reason they suggested it was the property was available to rent, but it was also available to sell. Mm. So they had put the property on the market for sale initially, mm. couldn't find a buyer, but were covering two mortgages. So then they put it up to rent mm. to help cover the cost. And I'd come to look at it to rent, but they really wanted to sell. Mm. And when I was talking to them about renting it, they said, would you have any interest in buying it? And I said, well, obviously I want to buy my own home, but I can't afford to now, I may be in the future. Hmm. And it all just fell together. Yeah. And then... It's interesting. Yeah. Because an option, just for anybody who's listening who's not entirely sure, an option literally gives you the right to buy the property at some point in the future. Yeah, but not the obligation. But not the obligation. Although if you decide that you want to buy it, the obligation is on the vendor to sell it to you. They have to sell it. But the great thing about an option is you can agree a price now. Yeah. So you can agree to buy it now, or you can agree a price to buy it now, but not actually have to buy it until, until some point in the future, which could be yeah. years. And if the property market goes up in value, that built-in equity is yours because you've agreed the price. So yeah. the price doesn't change, it's set at the start. Yeah. And if the property market goes down in value, you can walk away. You can walk away. So the thing, it the thing I really total like, control. Yeah. The thing I really like about it is I, re- I read a lot of books because books were cheap to read and stuff. Mm. Um, and people like John D. Rockefeller, one of the most successful people in America, said, own nothing, control everything. Hmm. And lots of, of the wealthy, you see stuff where it says if it moves, if it flies, if it floats, then you control it, you don't own it. Hmm. And property is similar. So we're all in property for the cash, in my opinion. We, I thought I was in it for wanting to own the property, but actually when you own a property, you don't really own it. The bank still owns it, because hmm. you may have a mortgage on it. Hmm. So. I could have my mortgage, if you think outside of the box, do you want your mortgage with the bank or do you, does, it, does it matter if the mortgage is with the homeowner mm. who has the mortgage with the bank? Because mm. all you're really after when you take out a mortgage on an investment property mm. is the income that property gives you. Mm. So through control, you still get the income, but you don't need the title deed. And the great thing is by doing the deal the way you've just described, you also get the benefit of any capital growth. Yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely right. And of course, you're getting the benefit, as you say, the vicarious benefit of the homeowner's mortgage, but you haven't had to put down a deposit. Yeah. You haven't had to kneel in front of the bank manager and beg for the money or fill in a 30-page application form or deal with a mortgage broker. Or bad credit, or if you've not even been in the country long enough and you're thinking about getting started, but you can't get a mortgage because you've not been here long enough, or you've missed a mobile phone payment or something once because you just forgot to put it on direct debit, or, what, or any missed payment on anything affects your credit file, you can't get a mortgage. 
yeah. then you can still control property and make money from property. Bad credit doesn't stop you getting started and massive debt doesn't stop you getting started. So we're going to talk about no money down techniques in a moment, but just getting back to your story, yeah. this got you started. You were living in yeah. effectively your own HMO, which you've created on a rent-to-rent -rent basis, yeah. and now you've started acquiring other properties, presumably in your local area where you're living. Our local area, yeah. yeah. And you started building a portfolio? Yeah. Yep. Successfully? How, um, how did it go? So I guess always in property, the first, I didn't know then what I, so I hadn't done training. I came back and did training with Progressive in 2013, 2014, and they taught the reason model of what not to buy. Oh, the reason model. Yeah. And, and that must have, must have resonated a bit, Kevin. It resonated a little bit because the reason model, each letter of reason stands for what you shouldn't do. Yes. And I'd pretty much done every letter of reason. So I focused, I'd focused it pretty much on what you shouldn't do rather than what you should do. Apart well, from the accidental um, getting into rent to rent. So well, well, just, just, just to sort of cover that, just yeah. thinking about the reason, because the A is for abroad. Yeah. The O is for off plan. Yeah. And the N is for new build. Yeah. So you've got three straight off. And the E is for expensive. Oh, yes. There you yeah. go. Four. Four uh, of the seven. And the R is run down, which the Bulgarian one now is. It now is because there's Estonia, no skylight. Estonia you could technically call run down because it's not even built. Yes. Uh, yeah. So an S is scattergun. Well, absolutely. So, so actually you almost tick every box. I ticked every, every box. box. Scattergun yeah. is progressive teach don't buy um, scattergun UK. Mm. But I'd actually done scattergun Europe, mm. which was even bigger. No, now, when I came back to the UK and the first few deals I did, I didn't, I still didn't know the reason model. So the first three or four houses I bought in the UK or took control of were again scattergun. So they were across different parts of the country. Mm -hmm. One, in, for whatever reason, one of them is in South Wales, and that just happened because I was tell. We say tell everybody what you do, so I was telling mm. people what I did, mm. and a lad at work said to me, he, he, I worked for a company, a construction company, and people came from all over the country to construction mm. sites. Mm. And he said that a neighbour of his had a property available, mm. and would I be interested? Mm. So I drove all the way to South Wales, put a leaflet through their door. They rang me a few days later, and I went back down, and we secured it on a, mm. on a deal. Mm. Um, that, so I ended up doing Scattergun UK as well, which isn't the brightest idea. Have you still got that property? I still have the property, yeah. There you go. Um, now I've got a focus of just buying in, in a small patch. Yes. So about 2,000 houses, trying to get as many as possible in that area. So yes. it's much easier to manage. It's easier. I mean, just to be absolutely clear, having that property hasn't done you any harm. No, I presume no. it's creating it's an income. But it's just yeah. it's effort, isn't it? It's effort. E effort. It cash flows 300 quid a month. It is effort, but... Um, you can offset that effort. You can give it to letting agents and stuff. Mm. Or what you can actually do is do a rent to own. Mm. So where I was in a rent to own property of my own, mm. you can also do rent to own to other people. Mm. And that means you find it some, what's called a tenant buyer. Mm. And the tenant buyer moves into the property. They can refurbish it, look after it, pay the mortgage, and they pay a top-up extra which is each month, which is deducted from the future purchase price. Mm. They'll also pay an upfront option consideration to buy that property. And so they're building up their deposit to own the property. Mm. So people that are in a similar situation to I was where they can't get a mortgage or they've not been in the country long enough, whatever reason, but they want to be a homeowner, but they can't do it today. Mm. So you give them the option to move into your house and be a homeowner later. Yeah. The thing about that is you then don't need necessarily letting agents and stuff because they're a different mindset of person. Mm. They're not a tenant that moves into a house and damages it. They're a tenant buyer that moves into a house and improves it. Yeah, there's a homeowner, yeah. but they're just not the homeowner yeah. yet. So anybody yeah. who has property more than an hour away from where they live themselves, rent to buy is a massive strategy to get extra income from the property and reduce the management costs, pretty much eliminate the management costs. Yeah, brilliant. So just to be absolutely clear, that's granting your tenant the option to buy the yeah. property off you. Yeah. And again, you can do the same thing. You can agree a price today yeah. so that they know what the price is going to be in the future. You can agree a time scale. Yeah. And One year, three year, five years, ten years, whatever suits both parties. Yes, and any value they add to the property, it's their vested interest in the property then. Yeah, and it's in their vested yeah. interest so to look win -win. after the property. And it's in their vested interest to make sure they pay your rent. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's a win-win for everybody because yeah. you're getting your property looked after remotely and they're getting a home for the future. Yeah. You were scattergunning in the UK. You realised that you could actually make it work for you, but there was an easier way of doing it, which is doing it near a home. Yeah. 
So what, what did you start doing near home then, um, Kevin? Well, I did training with Progressive in 2013-14. Yeah. And I learned all about uh, all, you're having a patch, having an area that you knew really well and that you dominated. Mm. And I focused on my patch. I started leafleting, putting signs up around town, um, postcards in shops, and just becoming the local property problem solver. I've heard of people doing that kind of stuff. Does yeah. it actually work? It does work. It does work. Yeah. Actually, I'm being a bit tongue-in-cheek because yeah. I've done it myself as well. So I used to be a bandit board expert climbing up lampposts yeah. in my day. <laughs> so it, it works, um, but it's not actually... People say, do leaflets work or do bandit boards work or do postcards work or which one works best? Mm. I, I used to try and track it, and now I don't bother because I don't actually believe that it's does one of them work or not. It's all about when you do it and how much you do because mm. it's not actually about whether it works it's about the mind space mm. so what i talk about is, is in our, our no money down training is about becoming the mcdonald's of your area no pun intended because you are the mcdonald's i of am your the area. mcdonald's yeah, yeah exactly. spelled differently but yeah, yeah. Um, you need people in your area to know that if they need to sell their house or if they've got a problem that you're the person to go to mm. and if somebody sees a leaflet i've, I've heard loads of people say oh I, leafleting doesn't work i've tried it i've dropped forty thousand. But if you drop 40,000 leaflets once, mm. it's not necessarily going to work. Mm. But if you drop the same 40,000, 1,000 a week for 40 weeks, mm. it's, you've got a better chance of it working because mm. you're building mind space. Mm. But if somebody went to buy, they were on their way home from work and they went to buy fish and chips and they seen a sign in the shop and then they drove past a lamppost and seen your sign and then they, they went on Facebook and they seen an ad on Facebook and then they got home and they seen your leaflet, mm. you've got four points of contact. Mm. And you get, you're gaining mind space. Mm. So now they right, might have rung the number on the leaflet, but was it all the other stuff that got them thinking about ringing? Mm. So which one works? Mm. I think it's a mi mixture of doing it all and gaining mind space. And then leafleting-wise, it's all about when you drop it. So you can drop a leaflet. There's different ways to do it. You can do it yourself. You can hire a company to do it. If you hire a company, you can drop them in bulk or you can drop them individually. But if you drop them in bulk, it's cheaper because the company will drop loads together. But then if you, use, if you think, okay, well, I want mine dropped individually, so you pay a company extra to drop it individually, and the company comes along at 11 o'clock on Wednesday and drops your leaflet while the homeowners are at work, and then the bulk company comes along at 12 o'clock and drops theirs, and all of it falls into the same floor mm. inside the letterbox. Mm. When the homeowner comes home, they're not going to look at all the rubbish on the floor and think which one was dropped individually earlier. Mm. Mm. So they just chuck it all in the bin. Mm. So timing... We drop our leaflets between 7 and 9 in the evening. So the homeowners have come home, they've picked all their leaflets up off the floor, they've chucked it all in the bin, they've gone upstairs, they've had a shower, they've started to cook dinner or whatever, and they've sat down relaxed, and the letterbox goes, and now there's one piece of paper on the floor. So you've got the time between them picking it up and getting to the bin to see if they glance at it, but you've got their total concentration on your leaflet for that two minutes. It hugely increases your chance of getting a response. Mm. Well, it must be working for you. It's working okay, yeah. It's working okay. Now, yeah. If you can't see Kevin on this, if, you, if you're listening on the podcast, but he's looking very pleased with himself, <laughs> so I imagine it's working really well. And it enables you to put together a portfolio yeah. now, and presumably eating away at all that debt you were carrying. Yeah, so the, what I did do, I did, I did some things right, and one of them was I... I didn't necessarily try and pay all the debt down. I parked it like the banks did with bad debt and good debt. Mm -hmm. And I started to create some cash and stuff on one side. But then I pay about £2,000 a month of the debt off each month. Mm. So I've, I still carry some of the debt, about fifty six grand left paying mm. to the... And I could just pay it off, but I'm going to leave it there because it's actually a good thing. Because mm. when you go for credit now, people say, oh, if you've got a lot of debt, you won't get credit. But it's if you took out fifty grand of credit card debt tomorrow your credit file will be hammered and you won't get, you look, you'll, your score will drop. But if you've been carrying, if you've built it up over a period of time and you've carried it for a while and you've been making the payments monthly for years, the banks look at you as somebody who can handle debt. Mm. So they see you as, you've never missed any payments, you can handle the debt, then it's, you're somebody they'll lend money to because you've proven you know how to handle borrowed money. Mm. So it's seen, in a way it's seen as a good thing and it keeps my credit score high. So I'll continue to just pay a little bit every month I could, if you put 56 grand into paying off a debt today, what else could you do with that 56 grand to well, create more income? Well, that's the point, income? isn't it? It's the yeah. opportunity cost of that. Yeah. 
Because so, you could save your interest payments on your debt, or you can go off and you could earn much, much more yes. in back by using yeah. that £56,000 You could put 20 grand, 25 grand into two HMOs and make mm. £1,000 a month on each. Exactly. So you could increase your net income by two grand a month yeah. or pay off some debt. So holding debt, people say is debt a bad thing, but there's good debt and bad debt. And this bad debt can become good debt if, you're, if it's been paid for by assets. But if it's been paid for from earned money from a day job, then it's bad debt. Mm-hmm. So what's your main property activity now then? Um, People always talk to me about strategy and what's your strategy and I always hear people say oh I do HMOs and I do or I do rent to rent or I do single lets or SA and all this sort of stuff. I don't actually believe any of them are strategies. I think they're just tools. I've got one strategy and my only strategy is marketing. So what I mean by that is if you market and you put your message out into the world Somebody will either email you or ring you or, or put something on your website to get on a, a landing page and you get a contact. Now, let's say your, your strategy or your tool is HMO. If somebody rings up and they've got an amazing single let deal, mm. do you just say, oh, I'm really sorry, I just do HMOs and put mm. the phone down? Mm. So I've ended up, if I just market and then f- focus on, when somebody rings you, I focus on what their problem is solve their problem, mm. and if I can make some money out of it from solving their problem, then I'll do the deal. And that's resulted in me having some single lets, some HMOs, commercial conversions, bit of land, uh, block of flats, uh, and uh, anything I don't want, I'll package on and mm. sell to other investors. So a little bit of everything, but the strategy is marketing. Because you can't do any deal if the phone doesn't ring, mm. if you don't have a contact. Mm. So the more I put into the top of the funnel as contacts, the more deals I can get out the bottom. Mm. No, I, I fully understand that. And one of the things which I say at Masterclass when we're talking about the goldmine area is if you cannot think of what your goldmine area is, just do some guerrilla marketing where yep. you live. And you won't know what the deals are. You won't know what the strategy is, as you, as you say. Yeah. But deals will come and it might be a HMO, it might be a single let, it might be who knows what it is, an assisted sale, a lease option. And you can choose to keep it or you can choose to sell it on. Mm. And it's just very exciting. Whereas, as you say, if you actually just choose a strategy and pigeonhole yourself in that, Yeah, that's a slightly different thing. It's more fun really just to chuck out the marketing, see what leads come back. See what comes and in. Have, and have fun with it. Yeah, And everybody can do that anywhere. Wherever you're based, mm. you can do that. Property works everywhere if you've got enough um, property tools to work out what the best solution is yeah. for your homeowner. I spent years walking into houses, looking at 100 grand houses, trying to buy them at 75 grand, because I thought I needed a 75% mortgage and wondering, I'd spend five minutes in the house, I'd go back and make an offer of 75 grand or 25% below market value, and was getting nowhere, just rejections. But if you walk into a house and, you, and you're trying to offer 75 grand for a house worth 100, and, you, and let's say the homeowner has a mortgage of 96 grand, you're never buying it for 75, because mm. they can't afford to sell. Mm. So if you spend a little bit of time focusing on what their problems were, mm. and found out they had a 96 grand mortgage, with things like options, you can offer them £4,000 to take control of their 96 grand debt. Mm. So it's costing you four grand instead of 25, mm. and you're getting more deals done. Mm. Excellent point, excellent point. And you must have met a lot of vendors. You, uh, presumably you, you do a lot of direct-to-vendor yeah. deals because of the nature of the marketing you're doing. Yeah. What sort of top tips would you give to anybody who's listening on how to deal with a vendor and how to get the deal? Get as much info, if, if they're ringing you, so I do direct-to-vendor even if I go through estate agents. So if it's, direct, if it's from my marketing, from leaflets and stuff, when they ring, try and get as much information from them as possible on the phone and build some rapport. And make sure, key, most important thing is that you get their name. Because often I see people be too worried about trying to get the meeting and you have to get their name because your deal is done on the minute you arrive and if you are arriving at a house and you're saying, hi, Mr. Vendor, and you don't know their name, it's much, much better to be able to go, hi, Peter, great to speak to you earlier, and start with a smile on your face and a warm welcome and introduction. And don't show up in a crazy shirt like I'm wearing now, just dress normally. When you get into the property, it's all about building rapport. Mm. Don't go straight into numbers and the deal and everything. It's mm. about building rapport. Mm. I stood in houses speaking to parrots and different animals and playing with dogs and whatever, just to show that we've got common connections, common interest. 
you're more likely to get a deal if you do that because people want to work with people who they know, like and trust. So rapport building and focusing on them. Too often, and I spent years doing it myself, is I was only focused on me and what I needed out of the deal. If you chase the money, you end up chasing it for the rest of your life and you never get it. If you focus on helping other people, you'll get better deals. You might get a little bit less on each deal, but you'll do more deals and overall that'll compound to a bigger number. So typically you'll go around, you'll know their name, yep. as you say, nice friendly introduction, you'll spend time, yeah. a cup of tea, cup on of the tea, two if you can get them. Yeah, two yeah. cups of tea. But that's the thing, you've got to put the time in, haven't you, yeah. to build the rapport, and yeah. maybe even more than one visit. I say, uh, I, I teach this in my training to people, is, is I ask people how, how many viewings they do in a day and how long they spend on them. And average people spend is about 15 minutes on a viewing and they'll try and block in 10 viewings in a couple of hours or over two mm. or three hours. Mm. That's quantity, not quality. Mm. So I'd rather do one viewing that's quality than 10 viewings of quantity. Because mm. you can't find out enough view information in 10 viewings mm. at 15 minutes each. You, mm. You're not getting any deals. Mm. But if you did one viewing for three hours, you'll get the deal. Yep. If you get offered the second cup of tea, you're getting the deal. Yes. Yeah. Just to be clear, I mean, if I was going out with estate agents, I might try and do a number of deals and uh, viewings in a day. Yeah. But if you're going direct to vendor... That's direct to vendor, yeah. Yeah, direct to vendor, you've got to take your time. Yeah. And if you take your time, learn what the problem is, think of a creative way to help them out of their problem, and then you'll get the deal. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, going with agents is slightly different, although when I deal with agents... At the start, it's, they need to get to know you and trust you, but I'll, tr I'll try and aim to do my viewings in the evenings or on a Sunday. Well, I was going to say, because you just came up with a very interesting comment, that you, yeah. when you're doing direct, you do direct-to-vendor even with estate agents. Yes. How does that work? How can you di di direct-to-vendor through an estate agent? So agents generally only work during the day or on Saturday morning. So I'll ask if I can view a property. So we've got some property, what pictures on the wall? Let's say that's a property. I'll say, I'd really like to view that house. They'll say, no problem, uh, when can you do? And my response is after 6.30 or on Sunday. Generally, they won't do viewings at those times. So either they'll say no to me or they'll ring up the homeowner and find out if they'll do the viewing for mm. them. Mm. And then I can get direct to vendor and meet them. Now, I'd never cut the agent out. I was going to say, yeah. well, some of the listeners might be thinking, oh, Kevin, you're being a bit naughty, no. circumventing the agent. So there's, the, the reason for this is not to cut the agent out. I'll, I'll try and do a deal that evening in the house, come back to the agents the next day and tell them we've done a deal and make sure you pay them and make sure you pay your agents well because they'll bring you more deals. The only reason for it is the agent won't spend one, two, three hours in a property because they want to be in and out in their 15 minutes. Mm. And their interest is just having somebody buy the house. My interest is trying to find out the reason why the homeowner wants to sell so I can structure a creative deal. Mm. Now, I need to be able to speak to the homeowner privately and talk to them and build rapport. I can't do that if the agent is there. So the whole point of it is, and, and if you try and think about a, structure, a creative deal with an agent and then try and get the agent to tell the homeowner third hand, the agent will mess up what they're saying because they don't know the stuff that I know. So I've got to speak directly to the homeowner to get the deal done. Yeah. Now, you're not being arrogant in saying that, but I think no. perhaps just, just to be absolutely clear on this, we can sometimes assume that because estate agents are in property and they're property yeah. professionals, they know everything about property, but they're actually not property investors. True. And so a yeah. lot of the stuff that we do as property investors, estate agents wouldn't necessarily understand. Absolutely, yeah. I, did, I actually I run my No Money Down training last weekend and there was two estate agents in the room. And one of them has posted on Progressive Community during the week saying that they've been an agent for 20 years and they didn't know the stuff that we were teaching. Mm. But that's because they're not an investor. They're an agent. They're a, they are a, a salesperson who's offering a service to sell somebody's house. And they're focused on find, getting their commission, whether it be through an investor or through a, a normal person looking for a residential home. They just want their commission. So they don't know the creative strategies. Mm. They've got one tool, which is selling the, property, selling the property, selling the property in a conventional way. Yeah, and as you say, the the agent won't necessarily know why their client wants to sell. No, they just take the instruction yeah. to sell. So they won't know the story, the backstory. No, they won't know what the problem is, or even that there is a problem. They wouldn't even have an interest in the problem. They, no. they just want to get the property sold for as close to asking as possible and get their fee. Mm. So yeah, so you've mentioned a few times that you do training on this. 
So you've now gone from being trained by Progressive to actually being the Progressive trainer on No Money Down. Yeah, I don't know how that's happened, to be honest, but yeah. <laughs> Just that all happened really quickly. Um, yeah, it's interesting though, I'm enjoying it. Yeah, you do do No Money Down deals, so you're in the perfect position to be able to share your expertise. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's what I do day to day. So uh, over the last few years, obviously building up my portfolio, and then I got approached by Progressive saying, would you be interested in running a training on it? To which I'm, al I'm always told, don't get ready, be ready. And you should always say yes immediately and then think about it afterwards. So I just said yes, went home and went, what the hell have I just agreed to? How do I, ha how do, I do that? Because I'm not a teacher, I'm a property investor. Um, but it's going good and I'm enjoying it. And it's great when you get a message from somebody having taught them something where they've done a deal. It just, it's like, yeah, it's, you can't explain the feeling, but it's amazing. Mm. Hmm. So what would you say to anyone who's listening to this who might be thinking, well, no money down, it doesn't really work. How can you buy a property for no money? It uh, all, all sounds like a bit of a scam or it sounds like a bit of hype. I'd say um, get out of your own way, change your mindset. If, you've always done, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you always got. Hmm. So if you're not successful at the moment and you think money is the problem or you don't have deposits for properties, then you need to get out of your own way, realise there is other ways, because there's people in every town, and I asked this on last weekend, how many, I asked people to raise their hands, how many people know somebody in their town who's done a creative deal in the last 12 months, like a rent-to-rent -rent deal or a lease option deal and stuff, and most people put their hands up, or if you know somebody on the progressive community who spoke about doing one, and I firmly believe in anything in life, is if one person has done it, then I can too, mm. So if there's one person in your town doing a deal that's creative, why isn't that person you? Because every time they do one, you're missing out on opportunities. Mm. So it's happening. It's whether you want to do it as well or not, if you want to change your life. Mm. If your reason for getting started is big enough. So I had a huge reason. I, I was in massive debt. I had other reasons as well. But um, I had no choice to but to learn this stuff. And sometimes it's very comfortable if you've got some savings. You don't bother learning this stuff. But... Let's say you've got 250 grand savings. The average purchase price of a house in the UK at the moment is 250 plus grand. So you need 20, you need 25 percent deposits, 50 thousand pounds. Mm. Half a million will buy you five houses with deposits, mm. and then you're stuck again. Mm. Now, five houses won't change your life. Mm. Five houses won't give you the income to change your life. The rich, the really wealthy in this country and in the world, are doing creative stuff. They're doing no money down deals, mm. and. I got a little bit lucky in terms of the job I, I worked in as well because I worked for a company called Lang O'Rourke. Lang O'Rourke is a mm. major construction company who mm. have built like Heathrow Airport and various different jobs, the Olympic stadiums. And when I joined in 2002, it was called Ray O'Rourke and Son. It was a small Irish subcontractor. And John Lang International was the largest construction company in the UK for over 100 years. I don't know if you remember John mm -hmm. Lang International. Mm, I do. And they went bust on the Cardiff Millennium Stadium. Mm. And Ray O'Rourke, an Irish subcontractor who had been trying to become a main contractor for years, but nobody would hire him. Ray O'Rourke bought Lang Construction, took over their debt for a pound. Mm. So my employer had done a lease option on a, and it's big mm. in commercial. Mm. Now I didn't even think about it at the time, but as I started to do property deals, it made more sense. The pound is just a peppercorn sum and to prove that a transaction has taken place. Mm. He's since gone on over the recession and bought loads of other companies. Mm. So he bought a, a, a precast companies and various different types of companies for very little money. It doesn't have to be a pound. Mm. Loads of other uh, examples. Ken Bates bought Chelsea Football Club mm. for a pound. Mm. So other people are doing this stuff. If people like Ken Bates are doing it, if, if Lang O'Rourke are doing it, mm. then why aren't we? Mm. And that's... Think the question you need to be asking yourself. It's not new. It's not something that I've coined or anything. It's something that's been around for a hundred years. Mm. Just I just learned it. No, no, it goes back f for for centuries, doesn't it? Yeah. I think the the use of options has been used by sort of silk traders, you know, sort of before Christ, yeah. all this yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. And actually, one of the best examples of somebody who uses options is our old friend Donald Trump. Yes. Yeah. Love as him or hate him. <laughs> love him or yeah. hate him. And yeah. as I often say at Masterclass, the only difference between me and Donald Trump, because people sometimes wonder yeah. what's the difference between him and Donald Trump, well, I'll tell you, is that he just happens to think bigger. 
So whereas I've done deals for yeah. a pound on a property in the West Midlands, he's done, uh, he's bought um, office buildings in Manhattan for a dollar. Yeah. But for using the same principles, buying them on an option. Same principle. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So it does work. It yeah. does work. I think past the confusion around no money down, when you hear people saying it can't be done or it's illegal, is because they're confusing it with some elements of mortgage fraud, which we're not suggesting at all. This is something completely different. No, it's, it's, this is using yeah. legitimate strategies like using options use, and other types of agreements. Every lease option deal I do, we use solicitors to make sure the contracts are drawn up legally so everything's in place correctly. Because lots of things could go wrong. They, the person you've done the option for could um, move to another country and become a recluse somewhere mm. in, mm. I don't know, Tibet and never be seen again. Or they could um, drop dead. God forbid, God forbid. So you need to have things in place like power of attorneys to ensure mm. you can complete transactions. Mm. Um, you need consent to let. So the properties have to be on buy to let mortgages or at least have consent to let so there's no mortgage fraud so the lender knows what's happening. Mm. So everything's done legally above board. It's about control. So mm. uh, I said if, if companies like Lang O'Rourke are doing this stuff, then why aren't we? If people like Donald Trump are doing it, mm. then the most powerful people in the world are doing this stuff mm. to become really successful like they, they are, what you have to observe what they're successful are doing and follow them. Mm. So. Totally. Well, I honestly believe that even if your 70-20-10 doesn't involve using options and other creative mm. deals, you should know how to do it because the chances are at some point over your property journey somebody's going to come along and tell you about a property with a problem or a absolutely. vendor with a problem and you mm. can then do something with yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. The more tools you have in your toolbox, the better. And I also actually challenge people to think about it because developers when they buy a new build, before they take on the land, they secure the land on an option mm. subject to planning permission. Mm. That's an option. Mm. They complete it quicker than years later. They complete Once they've got their planning, they then complete it. But you, you need to know options, even for doing things like delayed completions, subject to planning, um, secure it on an option, apply for planning for a HMO. Mm. And once the planning comes through, then secure the purchase. Mm. So this stuff, day to day to become a successful property investor, you need it in your, in your toolbox. Incredibly useful, isn't it? Yeah. Now, I remember you telling a story about a property you bought where you discovered that you owned more flats than you realised. You yeah. ended up with some free flats? Yeah. I think that's a great story. How, how did that happen? Um, well, I, I noticed the property was available, at, uh, was going to auction, and I went and did a viewing before the auction, and it was six flats. The flats, I could only get inside two of them, and the two I got inside were horrible. So all the doors, the other four flats were let out. The two, the two empty ones were really run down. And then there was some service doors and they were all locked up. So with auction properties, you can only see what you can see. And then you take a punt. So I went to the auction and there was other people interested and other people in the progressive community interested. Oh. And I remember going to the auction and, and my wife said to me going up the road, I told her that the most I was going to go to was 140 grand because I couldn't see the properties. But there was one other lad and he was going to look at about 160, 170, because I'd heard that through the community, people talk. And she said, well, what's the point in wasting our evening? Why, why are we going to the auction if you've got no chance of getting the deal? So I said, well, let's go anyway, let's see what happens. And have you heard the saying that 90% of success is in showing up? Yes. And this is true, it's just showing up, because we arrived at the auction and we were having a look out to see if he was in the room. I couldn't see him anywhere. And the lot came up and one other lady was bidding on it. And from 112 grand, there was just the two of us every other thousand. And eventually 134 grand, she dropped out and I got the deal. So I rang my contact in the progressive community and said, where was Mr. X? I won't say his name live just in case. Mm. And um, he gave him a ring and he rang me back five minutes later and he said that he had worked late, thought the traffic might be bad and he went home and had his dinner and thought, I just won't go. But also the main reason he didn't go was he had approached the owner of the building about a week before and tried to do a deal pre-auction. And the owner said, there's no way he'd do it pre-auction because the building was going to go for 200 grand plus. Yes. So he thought, well, if it's going to go for 200 plus and I'm only willing to go to 160 or 170, there's no point showing up. Oh, well, this just shows don't make any assumptions. Don't make any assumptions. So I, I got it at 134. Went to the agents the next day, got the keys, well, the day after completion, well, four weeks later, got the keys and went looking in around the, 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 the rooms. And we opened up a service door downstairs and it was inside the service door was fire alarm systems and stuff and every, all the lighting and everything. And then went up on the first floor and we opened up a service door and there was like a broom cupboard with uh, brooms, obviously, <laughs> and um, a bit of a hoover and whatever. And then I opened up the third service door and there was a staircase. And the staircase led up to a floor in the roof space. And it, it was 
had it even had corridors and rooms and everything and bricked out windows from years ago. The the company, the agent that was running it, had had it for about 18 years and they'd never been inside the service door and didn't know it was there. And then a remote company bought it about 12 years ago and they'd never visited. So when they put it in auction, it didn't even have a potential for planning or anything on it because they'd never even, I don't think they even knew it was there. So we applied for planning permission and we, we initially applied for three one-bed flats, but that got rejected because it's a conservation area and we, didn't, we couldn't get enough light to one of the flats. So we've since reapplied for a two-bed and a one-bed, and that's been approved. So with the six flats, I've got planning approval for a two-bed and a one-bed in the roof space as well. Wow. So I've got a, a huge added value to the building that we didn't think about the day of the auction or we didn't even know about. So people say, oh, you got lucky, but I don't think I did because luck is in showing up. Mm -hmm. It's our, our labor under the correct knowledge. So yes, I got a little bit lucky, but had I decided not to go to the auction, I wouldn't have got the deal. Mm. So it, you will, the more you, Gary Player, the golfer says, the more you practice, the luckier you get. Mm. You just got to get out there and start marketing, start looking at deals and you make your own luck. Mm. So do you still own that property? I still own the property, yeah. And, uh, and have you got to the point of actually doing the work? So, so what we've done, we've broken it into two stages. So we've refurbished the six initial apartments mm. and got them let out so we could get the building refinanced. And then stage two is to start the development of the flats. Yeah. So we've, at the moment we've got full planning but not started the works. So in effect you got two free building plots, didn't you? Yeah. 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 Amazing. Yeah. And, ma yeah. and massive value just on the six yeah. from the refurb. Yeah. So yeah, it's a quite yeah. a, an okay a, deal. That is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. brilliant deal. Brilliant so. deal. So Kevin, if anybody wants to learn more about this stuff, how, how can they do that? How, can they well, get in touch with you or what, what's the best thing to do? The best thing to do is probably just get in touch with Progressive. So I run the training for Progressive, so I just say get in touch with the office if you're interested. Um, and they can, with, there's only one date left this year, so we're only, I don't run it very often, it's for a couple of times, a few times a year. There's only one other time this year, which I believe is November. So if you did want to get on it, the, the last one is November okay. and there's nothing else in the diary. So. Um, Okay, so yeah. that's 2017. Hopefully, people are listening to this into the future. So yeah. just give the Get office a call. The office. There'll yeah. be other courses. If it's coming 2021 up. when you log in, just <laughs> ring the office. <laughs> yeah, and you'll still be doing the training in 2021? Yes, hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. Well, Kevin, it has been great to have you here today. Thank you ever so much for sharing all of that. I've been Peter Jones. This has been the Progressive Property Podcast. If you want to get in touch with any ideas for future podcasts, get in touch through the community, go onto the Progressive Facebook page, contact me on Messenger, send me a private message if you have any ideas for subjects you'd like us to cover. And if it looks like a subject should be good for everybody, we may do a podcast on it. In the meantime, here's to successful property investing. Bye.